Okay, I have a question for you young people. So if you th- consider yourself young, now you can answer this. Where is the first prophecy about Christ in the scriptures? Sean, thank you. The young person back there. He considered, I did. <laughs> you other younger people were going to say that too, weren't you? <clears throat> In Galatians 4 4, it says, But when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his son. So we go all the way back to Genesis there at the very beginning. And in the fall, I mean, God isn't caught off guard here. He's not scrambling around thinking, okay, plan B. But from the very beginning, there's this plan of redemption, this plan to send his son. And we see it, yes, Genesis 3.15. He says, I will put enmity between you, the serpent, and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. Pointing to Jesus Christ, it says, And he he shall crush you on the head, and you shall bruise him on the hill. Now, if I get some other volunteers to read some other prophecies this morning concerning Christ. And we're just going to look at, spend some time just considering God's sovereignty over all things in bringing his son, sending his son to this earth. Who will read Isaiah 7, or somebody turn to Isaiah seven fourteen, and somebody turn to Isaiah 9, 2, and verse 6, and then somebody Micah 5, 2. So we have Isaiah seven fourteen, Isaiah 9, 2, and verse 6, and Micah 5, 2. Would somebody read Isaiah seven, fourteen? Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin will be with child and bear a son, and she shall call his name Emmanuel. Thank you. So there we have this virgin shall bear a son. His name will be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. Okay, Isaiah 9, 2. And verse 6. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shined. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Okay, then Micah 5.2. I was going to go ahead and keep reading there in Micah 5. Thank you, Micah 5, 2. And then verse 3, he says, Therefore he will give them up until that time when she 
who is in labor has borne a child, then the remainder of his brethren will return to the sons of Israel. And he will arise and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord and the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they will remain, because at that time he will be great to the ends of the earth. This one will be our peace. Now you could turn to the Gospel of Luke. The Gospel of Luke. And it's just amazing to look at the account of the coming of Christ, the birth of Christ. In light of the prophecies, in light of what is going on in this world, you have this pagan, I mean, very powerful empire ruling, the Roman Empire, um, who, who wasn't looking for a king to come apart from the one they had. And and you look at just all that's going on here in God's sovereignty to bring all these things perfectly about in his plan. And there's a lot of encouragement in this for us as well. Let's go ahead and look here in Luke chapter 2. Let's read verses 1 through 3. Now in those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that a census be taken of all the inhabited earth. This was the first census taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone was on his way to register for the census, each to his own city. Now it's amazing here. You have these nations, these powerful nations, countries. You, I mean, you think of the United States, a very powerful nation that that we live in, and many rulers just think that they're ruling according to their own whim, according to their own choices and power. And here God is orchestrating all of this. I mean, we know the end of the story, right? We know what's coming. All of this to bring about Mary and Joseph, who don't live in Bethlehem, and the prophecy in Micah 5.2 talks about the Christ child coming from Bethlehem, to bring him from Nazareth to Bethlehem. And just talking about even Galatians 4 4, that how in the fullness of time God sent forth his son, the fullness of time, to think about the time that Christ was born. He uses pagan Rome to fulfill his prophecy of where the Messiah would be born. Caesar gives a decree that all the world would be, uh, that a census to be taken. During his reign, Rome experienced an unprecedented time of peace. Just going to read some here just in regards to uh, the setting here historically. His rule ushered in the Pax Romana, the peace of Rome. And as a result of the peace of Rome, the peace that Rome experienced was able to construct a massive road system that facilitated transportation in every direction. There was an ease of movement around the empire. This created the perfect situation for the Messiah to make his entrance into the world and for the early church to spread. So in the right timing and in the fullness of time, God God sent forth his son. So this this census that was taken here, do you think this was seen as a blessing by Mary and Joseph or by many of the Jews? I mean, here's this trial, and I'm kind of getting ahead of myself here a little bit. But here is this trial 
that God is using to bring about his sovereign and purpose plan, and he's using Mary and Joseph to be a part of this, as they desire, as, as God fears, desiring to, to serve God, to please God, to honor God. So this registration, it brings everyone to their own city. And just to think about this, according to Roman law, property owners had to register for taxation in the district in which his land was situated. But God providentially moved so that the rulers followed Jewish custom. Since the Jews' property was the property of the father's father's estates, the Romans would comply to the custom of laying claim to one's family estate in order to assess it for taxation. Every person needed to appear in order to be questioned so as to make proper assessment of their property. I'm going to keep reading here. Avoiding giving the census an entirely foreign and non-national character would help keep the peace with the Jews. The best way to soothe the Jewish sentiment was to give the enrollment a tribal character and to number the tribes of Israel, as had been done by purely national governments. So all of this, God used the Romans, um, the nation of Rome, to bring Mary and Joseph to Bethlehem, as prophesied of where the Christ child would be born, uh, of him coming from the lineage of David. So God's rule and sovereignty over all rulers and all powers, we see in verses 1 through 3 of Luke 2. And now let's look a little more specifically at Mary and Joseph in verses 4 through 7. He says this, Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and family of David, in order to register along with Mary, who was engaged to him, betrothed to him, and was with child. While they were there, the days were completed for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him in cloths and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. So as was mentioned earlier, Mary and Joseph not living in Bethlehem, but living Nazareth in Nazareth some 90 miles away. Through this decree of Caesar Augustus, God brings them to Bethlehem. So God providentially, sovereignly, using this unbeliever, not a God-fearer, to work in the lives of his children according to his plan. And, and of course, we know the much broader purpose that God has here. And, and so it is for each one of us. As God is working to, to do things individually in our lives, it's much bigger than just us individually that God is, is working, that God is doing things in, as with Mary and Joseph. I'm going to jump to here just some this is brief here just to give us some thoughts just some considerations in in regards to um, the coming of Christ God's working God's uh, sovereign working in in the universe in the world to bring about his purpose to bring about his will 
And just some thoughts here for us to consider in light of this. An encouragement for us to trust God to work in our lives through rulers, through ungodly nations, and things that we don't understand. I'd like to go and turn to Ecclesiastes 3. Ecclesiastes. Here we're we're talking about the coming of Christ, the birth of Christ, and we're going to go to the book of Ecclesiastes. Vanity, vanities, all is vanities. But Ecclesiastes 3 In verse 1 it says this, There is an appointed time for everything, and there is a time for every event under the sun. Now, now who appoints that time? God appoints that time. So it's not that there's just some random, that this is just something, we're not sure if this is something, if it's just chaos, if this is just chaotic, it's just chance. We, it's not that. We, there's this appointed time for everything. Things that to us look like inconvenience, that look like just um, a mistake, these things are, happen within their appointed time and seasons by God. And go down to verse, and he goes into this refrain, there's a time for this, a time for that, a time for this, a time for that. And down in verse 9, he says, Then what profit is there to the worker from that in which he toils? I have seen the task which God has given the sons of men with which to occupy themselves. And here, here's the frustration, and even in Ecclesiastes, and for the writer here, is that these things, we don't know what's going to happen. And, and what's right doesn't always happen because we live in a sin-cursed world. We, we live in a, in a puzzle of a world where there's pieces missing because of sin. But yet God is in control of all this, and we can trust him. Let's go down to verse 11. He says, he has made everything appropriate, fitting. I think one translation says beautiful in its time. So think about Mary and Joseph. Think about initially Joseph receiving the news. He sees that his, his betrothed wife here, that, I mean, he's a God-fearing man, Mary, a God-fearing lady, and here he sees that the love of his life, reading back into this here, but this woman he's going to marry that he assumes is chaste, is pure, is walking with God, that she's pregnant. Think about what that felt like for Joseph. That's one of these things of, God, I, how are you working in this? This doesn't seem like it's right. It's not the right time. But in all of this, I mean, looking back at it, we can see just, we could look back and see God's appointed time for these events, right? And then here, you guys need to go to Bethlehem, and Mary's pregnant. And, and here, you need to live betrothed with your wife being pregnant in a culture where, I mean, she's not going to, you guys are not going to be looked upon favorably. You're not going to be talked about nicely. So he says, did we finish verse 11? 
He goes on to say, He has also set eternity in their heart, yet so that man will not find out the work which God has done from the beginning even to the end. And he goes on to say that the reason God does this is so that man would fear him. Down in verse 14. He says, I know that everything God does will remain forever. There is nothing to add to it. There's nothing to take from it. For God has so worked that men should fear him. So these things that are outside, that, that don't make sense to us, that are hard, that are discouraging, that are frustrating, they're things that, and so often in my life, a struggle has been is I can't see what's to come, or I can't see where I'm supposed to be going. So it's a frustration of like, well, I bring that on to the day, and it's a frustration, it's a discouragement. When God's saying, this is where you need to be, fearing me, trusting me, because God is there, right? God is in the future. God is working. God has this planned out. God has this under control. And to where I could sit back and say then, yes, God, you have made everything appropriate, fitting in his time. Even this, even this. Something else for us to consider. What things in our life is God saying, let me mold you? As we've said, these things clearly were not in Joseph's and Mary's plans. But they're not the potter. They're not the one in control. The one, they're not the one life is about. God is. So all of this, God was making, God was shaping, God was molding Mary and Joseph to be what he would have them to be in all of this. What things in our life, what things do we not understand why right now or or trials we're going through or struggles or whatever it might be or what is it that God is saying, let me mold you, let me make you, let me shape you, trust me in this. And then lastly, just to think about our response to trials or change of plans, it reveals our heart. It reveals where our heart is. Our response to trials or or change of plans reveals where our heart is. Right? What is life about? Yeah, I'm asking if you feel young, you can answer. But no, what is life about? It's simple. I mean, you know, what is, what is the Christian life about? What is the purpose of life? Knowing God, glorifying him. Did someone say something different? Okay, didn't. Yes, it's to, say, to live as Christ, right? It's him. It's about God. It's about his glory. That's the purpose of life. And trials come into our life, and it's asking us the question, do you believe that? Do you believe that? Are you going to let me be in control here? Are you going to let me be the one on the throne here in your life? As you say, you know, as you would confess, yes, Jesus is Lord. Jesus is master. Jesus is king. Life, what's the ultimate priority of of man is to glorify God. 
Yes, it's that. And trials come in, changes, no matter how big or how little. Often it's those very little ones, right, that can catch us off guard and reveal here, hey, wait, where, where's your heart at? Is it truly here? Is it truly in this place of, yes, my life is about honoring God in this. And this thing that came that caught me blindsided, it didn't catch, I mean, this is within God's very purposeful plan and time, as it says in Ecclesiastes 3.1, for my life. And God, I don't understand it, but I'm going to trust you in this. So our response to trials and change of plans, they reveal where our heart is. Am I trusting the potter or am I acting like I am the potter? You know, is our, our response like Mary's response after the angel came to her, told her this news? I mean, just massive news here. What did she say? May it be done to me according to your word. May it be done according to me. May it be done to me according to your word. So just an encouragement to us. And when we think about trials, I mean, it could, once again, huge things that we all, yeah, that's a trial. Little things. You know, your parents throwing a wrench in some of your plans. You know, or a sibling taking something of yours, you know, without asking. Parents your, or husband, wife, your, your spouse responding to you in a way that seems rude or short. Because our tendency can be to start to make excuses for how we're acting and behaving. I mean, we can start making excuses for our behavior saying, well, it's because of the situation I'm in. It's because of the workload that I have. It's because of, it's like what Adam said, it's the wife you gave me. <laughs> it's the parents you gave me. It's the sibling. It's my situation. It's life is hard. It's, we, our tendency can be to go down this path of excusing our behavior, sulking in our, in our circumstances and situations rather than trusting God, rather than taking ownership and saying, you know what, when Mary and Joseph are pressed with this, with this situation, what comes out reveals what's in their heart. And here Mary is pressed with this. She doesn't know how Joseph's going to respond. She doesn't know the outcome of this. How's her parents going to respond? How is her, her, the people uh, in her village going to respond? But God, let it be done to me according to your, according to your word. And, and to take, not to dismiss, so to take ownership of our actions. Let's not, let's see these things as from God. Whatever it is for us that's a trial, that's a struggle, that's hard for us to respond and accept is from the Lord, to, to love in, to love others in, whatever it is, Let's see that as from the Lord, whatever it's negative things or sinful things that it's pressing, squeezing out of our hearts, 
Let's thank God for showing us those things. Bring them to light, not dismiss them, take ownership for them, confess them, and to put on Christ, to put on love, and to respond as God calls us to respond in those situations by his grace, by his power. So all of this, to look at the coming of Christ, that God is in control of all of this, sovereignly in control. The mighty, powerful Roman Empire couldn't prevent prophecy being fulfilled, couldn't prevent the coming of Christ. And then you go on and you have Herod seeking to kill the Christ child. They're in this little town of Bethlehem, right? I mean, how many little kids can there be there seeking to kill him? God's in control of this. And as much as he's control in this story, in this situation, so he is today for us. Let's pray. Father, we just, we thank you. We just praise you, God, for your loving control, providence, sovereignty over all things, God, that you are trustworthy, that you are good, that you are faithful, God. We thank you that we're not left just to the the whims of this world, the flesh, the devil. And Lord, I just, I praise you, God, for the sending of your son, that you love the world, that you sent your only son, Jesus Christ, that those who believe in him would not perish but be saved. And we thank you, God, of just some of these truths, these aspects that we see in the coming of Christ in this story, God, the truths for us to apply in our own lives, God that you are in control, that you are sovereign, that, God, in these trials, Lord, you are working something marvelous, Lord, beyond what we can ask or think, Lord. And, God, I just I pray for faith. I pray for more faith to believe, to trust you. Um, Lord, show us sin in our life. God, continue to sanctify us. Uh, God, I pray for grace to repent. God, I pray uh, to to see more of Christ and to be conformed into him, his image as a body. In Jesus' name, amen.